In this show, I talk to Dillis Guyan, how to prospect for new clients and how to be consistent about it. Welcome to episode 103 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. And now, here's your host, Roger Edwards. Hey folks, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thanks, as always, for downloading or streaming the show. Last week, I had the pleasure of speaking at the Protect Association Annual Dinner in London. It was a great interactive session about how financial services professionals can use content and social media to grow their businesses. It's where I focus most of my business attention on now. I'm here to help you. So if you fancy a chat, look me up at rogeredwards.co.uk or we could have a 30-minute Skype call to talk about your strategy, your goals and what you need to do to achieve them. So let's get into this week's interview with Dillis Guyan. In this episode, we chat about how Dillis used prospecting to motivate her high-performing teams, using the trust equation to measure your clients' relationships, and why classic marketing technique, attention, interest, desire, action, still works. Dillis is an international sales and marketing leader, coach, and speaker, with a proven track record in increasing sales revenue anywhere from 20% to 400%. She works with professional B2B business owners and professional B2B salespeople who struggle to attract ideal prospective clients and convert them into high-paying clients who will give repeat and referral business. So let's get into that interview with Dillis right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Dillis, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you very much, Roger. It's a pleasure to be here. Dillis, where are we Skyping each other from today? Of course, I'm in Edinburgh, as always. And and I'm in uh, Whitney in Oxfordshire. But as you can hear from my accent, I'm not from Oxfordshire originally. I'm actually from Durham. Um, but I've been down here about 29 years now, as you can tell from my this very cultivated Oxfordshire accent. Not. So you've been down in Oxford almost as long as I've been up in Edinburgh. And looking at your... CV, Dillis, looking at your LinkedIn profile, you've got the word sales and marketing literally tattooed on your forehead. It's almost like a stick of rock. If I was to break you open, it would be sales and marketing all the way through to the core. And I want to really try to explore today with you how you've made prospecting sales and marketing as part of your raison d'etre, really, and how how that's allowed you to create great business relationships and also grow businesses and help the customers you work with grow their businesses. But before we get to that, let's hear a little bit about your background, Dillis. What makes you tick? Well, um, you were absolutely correct when you said, cut me in two and I've got sales and marketing running through me like a stick of rock. It's just what I have always done. It's my love. It's my absolute passion. Um, and I started, in fact, with Barclays Bank and then left and had my kids, went back and and eventually joined the financial services arm of, of Barclays and became a financial advisor. Um, I absolutely loved it. And one of the lessons that I learned very quickly in that, uh, you know, in the prospecting role, into, because 
What we had to do, in fact, when I first joined, they asked me to put together um, a list of 500 names from the telephone directory. So names, addresses, telephone numbers. I mean, you wouldn't even be allowed to do that now. Telephone and, directory? What's yes, a telephone honestly. directory? <laughs> and every week they sent out 60 letters and every night I made 12 phone calls. Mm-hmm. So five nights a week, I was there at my little desk in the corner of my bedroom and I made those 12 calls every single night. So th- there were two things I learned, actually, was first of all, the consistency of prospecting, mm-hmm. you know, and doing it consistently <clears throat> because your your clients are the lifeblood of your of your business. If you don't have any, you don't have any business. So you've got to do the prospecting. Mm-hmm. The other thing I learned was that people were not interested in life assurance, pensions, income protection. What they were interested in was having a safety net of financial security so that if their income stopped for whatever reason, whether it be death, sickness, critical illness, retirement, that they had that financial safety net to be able to maintain the standard of living, Mm -hmm. to be able to pay the mortgage, to still have a holiday, to pay all of the bills. And this was a real sort of passion of mine because I had experienced my father going bankrupt when I was 16 mm-hmm. and he lost everything. Right. Home, vehicles, uh, house, and, and eventually the family because the stress that he had um, or, or that he went through, it, he was a bit of a drinker anyway and it, it just tipped him over the edge. He was drinking a ridiculous amount and it was making him really quite aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so eventually when we had to move out to a council house, he didn't come with us. And and I'm very saddened still to say that he, he ended up living in my grandfather's garden shed for a week mm-hmm. and then a caravan for three years. And they did ultimately get back together. Um, but then he died when he was 52. And so I understand how critically important it is that people have had this financial safety net in place. And honestly, I was like the Billy Graham of life (laughs) financial services. I was like an evangelist out there, you know, making sure I got this safety net in place for as many people as I possibly could. And of course, it was it was B to C to start with, and then of course I was involved selling to to businesses, which again is as critically important as the individual. They were the two lessons. It was the consistency of prospecting, and it's not what you sell; it's what the product or service does for your client. Talking about benefits rather than features, I suppose. And in fact, I progressed from. A financial advisor to field sales manager within nine months. Okay, and uh, it, that was funny as well because they said we're going to promote you, but you have to recruit your own team. Right. And I thought, well, actually, that's okay because then I can show them my way, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it can be the people that I want. And I knew that if I wanted excellence, I had to show what excellence looked like. Mm-hmm. And so it was about showing them the exact steps and giving them the motivation and the inspiration for them to go out and and put this financial safety net in place for their clients. Um, And then a number of years later, I was promoted to uh, regional director. So I was managing all of Thames Valley region. Mm -hmm. So I had 70 advisors, seven field sales managers, 
and I was responsible for all of the bank branch targets in Thames Valley. So mm-hmm. all of the, the financial services targets, I should say, um, in Thames Valley. And I absolutely loved it. And what was it that you were doing as head of the specific team that made your group so successful? It was the the motivation, first of all. Motivation has to come within from within. And mm-hmm. so I just had to create an environment where people could felt motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, and prospecting was really high on our agenda. And I remember that year, um, and in fact, I think it might have been the year before when the 26-page fact find came in. Right. So if I compared that back to the early days, it was you could do a fact find on the back of a fag packet, really. <laughs> you yeah. know, do you breathe? Yes, you can have a box. <laughs> And then it went to a one page, a four page, then a 10 page. Then we went to 26 pages. And, and you know, talk about motivation. It sort of went through the floor because everybody was really worried. And I said, Dillis, this is it. This is the end. This will absolutely kill our business. Mm-hmm. I said, it will only kill our business if we allow it to kill our business. So we can't change this. Mm-hmm. You know, so this goes back to change the things you can change and accept the things you can't. Yeah. And we couldn't change that. So I said, we have to look at how we can make that work for us. And so I put an initiative in, in in terms of getting repeat business. Mm -hmm. And what that 26-page fact find did um, was it absolutely gave every individual the opportunity to really dig deeper on their prospective clients and, and get the full picture. Now, most people would couldn't or didn't want to do everything and put everything in place. But then the question at the end of the fact finders was, what's the most important to you? What do you want to put in place now? And what is your next priority? And when do you want to put that in place? Mm-hmm. So you've got the next appointment in your diary immediately. Yes. So in fact, this worked in our favor, having this big fact find. Mm-hmm. But, but again, the learning from that was about understanding that this as a financial advisor and in fact as any salesperson you are not there for the one hit Mm. you should be there as the trusted advisor as the trusted expert the person who who is credible and understands you know if you're working with businesses understand the world that these businesses are operating in and the business themselves if it's individuals understand what it is about individuals um, that where the need lies for them and being customer focused Mm. and this was another and I guess that really reflects right back to the beginning when I talked about um, putting a safety net in place one of the things I see that people do over all of the years of uh, working with salespeople and businesses is that they um, the first opportunity the product dump (laughs) Yeah. So when they're trying to get an appointment, they're product dumping uh, when they're introducing themselves. When they uh, get to the appointment, the first opportunity, the product dumping. And that's not what people want. No. They want, you have to find out wh- where they are right now. Where do they want to be? What does that mean to them? What are the challenges that might stop them getting there? What are the impacts of those challenges? What's the financial impact of that? 
and then what are the what would be the benefits of change and then you can put your solution in mm, mm. now uh, that's just a very basic sort of outline um, but it's putting the customer at the heart of everything that you do yes it's having this customer focus rather than the product focus i think it's quite interesting what you said there and you you told quite a sad story about what happened to you when you were younger with your father and your family and and that but in in a way you were given a real life story that you mm. could project into your conversations with your customers because you had first-hand experience of what it was like to be put into a, a, a financial situation like that. Mm. And and I think that's a, a, that's a lesson that comes up constantly on the Marketing and Finance podcast is how important it is to tell stories, real-life stories about real people rather mm. than just product bashing and pushing product. And again, I think that's the other lesson that you learned over the course of your time with Barclays was to focus on the benefits rather than listing, well, this product has one, two, three, four, five features, and this product mm. has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight features. It's yeah. all about what it can do for people. I suppose it's the old, it's the age old selling the sizzle rather than the bacon, isn't it? That, that's exactly right. Yeah. And and of course, there's another element there. It's about selling the relevant yes. benefits. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you have to do a good fact find, mm. you know, whether it's a formal fact find like in financial services or or whether you just have pre-prepared your questions before you go along to the client. But but you've got to get that full picture mm. and and dig deeper. Mm-hmm. And actually, good selling is about taking a person who said, look, I'm interested in talking to you. It's about taking them from that position of interest to a position where they decide that they want to buy from you because you've taken them on the journey where you're asking questions Mm. and when they're answering the questions themselves they're feeling it internally and they're taking themselves on that journey of thinking goodness me this is ridiculous i need to do something about this so good selling isn't about being pushy or sleazy or any of those slick nasty tactics it's about having the client at the heart of what you do find out what they're trying to achieve and dig deep and find out what their problems are and then when you're presenting your solution it's relevant features and benefits that you're that you're presenting to them it's quite interesting you should say that i mean again it's all about creating a relationship with somebody mm. so that they get to know you so that they get to like you so that they get to trust you and exactly. once they get to trust you then they're more likely to do business with you it reminds me a long long time ago now um a wine merchant knocked on our front door um, and he's actually my my wife unknown to myself had filled in a little survey in a magazine which effectively had been a lead generator for a wine merchant he knocked on the door and I opened the door and I'm looking at him thinking well who are you and he's there with his, his wine cooler bag full of wine and my initial reaction was salesman salesman mm-hmm. I'm not letting you in my house but he was quite a quite a charming gentleman he said look I promise you I'm not going to force you to buy anything i'm not a high pressure salesman i'm just a wine man i've got a box full of wine here how about you let me come let me come in and we'll taste a few glasses and Mm -hmm. you know what he was amazing he didn't sell he just sat in that living room with us probably for about two and a half hours let us sip his wine he explained the grape he explained the country it came from and the production and the the difference between white and red etc etc and i was completely won over by this and Mm. this guy is consistently 
had me buying wine from him now for nearly 20 years. But my initial reaction when Fantastic. he opened the door was, salesman, no, you're not coming into my house. But yeah. what he did, what he did is he created a relationship with me and I started to trust him. And I, mm-hmm. like, and I liked his wine as well, let's face it. Yes, yeah. And, Unlike you know, the window guy, me, who came to our house, we wanted some new windows and doors. So he, he measured up and so on, and, and he said, right, so that would be um, 16,000 something, whatever it was. And we nearly fell off the sofa, honestly, and we mm-hmm. laughed. And we said, 16,500, you're joking. Just could you give me a moment? I'm just going out to speak to my manager to see if I can get the price down. Well, of course, we knew what he was doing. And he came in with this ridiculously low figure. And and we just said, thanks, but no thanks. He was so awful. He just lost all credibility. It was it was horrendous. Uh, So that's quite a counter or, or a, an opposite type of story to the one you've just told. And and actually, I came across this really um, great, it, it's the Trust Equation by mm-hmm. Charles H. Green. I okay. don't know whether you've seen it. And it's credibility plus reliability plus intimacy mm-hmm. divided by your level of self-interest. Right. So it's about your credibility, your understanding of your of your products and services, but but also the world in which your clients operate in, um, the, the the benefits and your knowledge and all of that side of things, plus your reliability, which mm. is if I say I'm going to do it, I do it. Yes. And then that intimacy, that that bond that you create when you're with someone like your wine guy. Mm. He obviously created that intimacy. Yes. That relationship between you. You add those three elements together and then divide by your level of self-interest. Now, if your self-interest is high, in other words, it's all about me, my product, my service, my company, then your score is going to be lower. So it's about your self-interest being low and and being interested in the client. That's really interesting. I think that's reflected in both of our stories, actually. It just reminded me of, of that trust equation and... I use this as a foundation because if you can create that trust, what you then get is you you become then the provider of choice. Mm -hmm. You elevate yourself above the competitors and you win more um, contracts or more business without having to give discounts. You know, so you position yourself much more strongly and you, you bring, you, you completely elevate yourself out of the, um, commodity trap, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, where people say, oh, well, you do this and, and this other company does this as well. Well, then I'll just go with the cheapest, you know, and, and actually I read a really good book. Um, I would highly recommend it. I give this to all of my clients, Becoming a Category of One. Right. Um, it's how extraordinary companies transcend commodity and defy comparison. And it doesn't matter whether you're a big international corporate or whether you're a sole trader. Mm-hmm. It's about how do you differentiate? You know, you hear the term, um, yeah, but you're not comparing apples with oranges. And and this is the premise of this book, really. Mm-hmm. You have to become the apple yes. while all of your competitors are all oranges. <laughs> You know, a uh, really, really good book. So you yeah. rose to the to the to a very senior position in Barclays. Um, you've spent quite a lot of time in financial services, talking about life insurance, pensions, and investments. What made you decide, after being so successful within a corporate environment like that, to go on and effectively launch your own business, which you've 
been running now for the last 14 years. Actually, it's 16 this 16. year. I can't believe it, Roger. You need um, to update your LinkedIn profile. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, it, it, actually, it was very sad because I didn't choose to leave. Um, I did in the end. But what happened was we were at the National Conference in January mm-hmm. of 1999, receiving all of the awards across the board. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned earlier, everything. Yeah. Um, and we were flying high. People were even moving house to come and work in our region. It was it was that good. Right. And my boss, who'd been my boss for seven years, who I highly respected, um, and we got on great, just all of a sudden changed his behavior towards me and he started this awful harassment campaign, totally unfounded because there was, you know, we were doing so well. Um, and I couldn't fix it. I went to his boss and he, he said he was shocked about it and all the rest of it and um, arranged a meeting between me and my boss. And and I went to see him and within 10, he had his clipboard and within 10 <laughs> minutes he was shouting and across the desk and pointing his finger. And, um, and in that moment, although it wasn't absolutely in that moment because I had been thinking about it because I couldn't fix it. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, I've got two options here. I either put up and shut up or I, or I leave. Um, but in that moment when he flung his flip chart across the room and said, right, talk, <laughs> I thought, I'm never coming back. Uh-huh. I'm never coming back. And the funny thing was, I didn't even think about getting another job. I thought, I'm going to start my own my own consultancy. Mm-hmm. And so literally, I went from boardroom to bedroom, Mm -hmm. and I thought I was a single parent with two teenage children, with all of, like a mortgage and all of the bills, and of course, I was earning a huge, huge salary Mm -hmm. um, at at, at running the region. And I thought, right, I need to work with companies who can pay and will pay. So I put my plan together, set my goals, and put my plan together, which included uh, my ideal client, which was going to be um, blue chip financial services companies. Right. And I did my research on these companies and so on, and then literally again from yellow pages and my telephone in in an office at home, um, started making phone calls. And within the first month, I got a contract with Ally Dunbar, right. as was then, and went on to work with um, Norwich Union, which is Aviva now, of mm-hmm. course, Barclays, Barclay Card. Um, I've and I've sort of I was in financial services completely to start with, and then I was getting these sort of curveballs coming in. So I got this huge contract with Thornton's Chocolates, which I absolutely loved. I did work on and off for them for about eight years. And if you could just remind me, because I'd just like to to give a little, uh, one of the learning, big yeah. learnings that I got from there. Um, so Thornton's and Pepe Jeans. And a, a number of years ago, about four years ago, I thought, I, I can't keep doing all this traveling, you know, so I was traveling across Europe. And, and I think I'm 27. But I know you can only hear me on here, but I'm not 27. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I thought, right, I'm actually going to change my business model and bring my skills and knowledge to the SME market. So businesses who are selling to other businesses mm-hmm. but haven't got a sales and marketing department or a training department to support the, the sales effort. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I, again, I have a huge passion in this because when I looked at my father when he went bankrupt and he was an expert in what he did, 
but it, it, it wasn't skilled in sales and marketing. Yeah. He didn't know how to get the right message out to the right people in the right way to attract them into his business and then how to have the sales conversation that would take them from that position of interest to a position where they wanted to buy. Um, and and so now I run my own workshops. I've got private coaching clients and I'm just working on an, an online product so that I can get my message out in a bigger way to mm-hmm. more people to give them the strategies and the exact steps of the tactics that they need to put in place to attract the clients that they want and and then the steps in terms of the the sales conversation mm-hmm. and then of course how to keep them yeah having repeat and, and re- retention strategies in place and so often i see businesses um, and salespeople actually who they don't have any strategy uh-huh. they, they're running around like headless chickens um trying this trying that and trying the other or very often not trying very much and hoping that that business will come to them through word of mouth or some social media posts Mm -hmm. and it's just not enough prospecting has to be the foundation of everything that that um business owners salespeople, particularly financial services Mm. um because what i see i've just uh, done some work for a a national uh, financial services company and they get tons and tons of product knowledge yes Tons of trainings, and I'm seeing financial services particularly because of the qualifications mm-hmm. that they need. So they get a massive amount of product knowledge. They'll get some sales training, but what I see is that mainly it's filling the fact finding mm-hmm. compliantly. Yeah, um, and the, and the extent of the prospecting and marketing is put you know, a couple of hundred names together mm-hmm. and use those as referral sources. Mm-hmm. It. Sometimes, yes, it has worked, of course it has, but in most cases it doesn't. And so you get this churn where where financial services people are, are leaving and starting off somewhere else and and they feel downhearted and frustrated and, and a failure very often. Um, so, you know, the prospecting is so, so critically important. And you've been doing this prospecting now with, as you say, major league clients you mentioned Aviva, Pepe Jeans, mm. Thorntons, etc. And mm. now you're helping smaller companies as well. But the, the key thing is that you're offering to help them to attract a consistent, steady flow of ideal clients. Yeah. So just take us through very quickly, what would be the strategy that any company, and it doesn't need to be a financial services company, it could be anybody from a, from a hairdresser to a motor mechanic to a marketing consultant, what are the steps you need to take to attract that consistent, steady flow of ideal clients? Okay. So first of all, I would say that you need to set your goals and and have a written plan. Mm. Um, Harvard Business School did some research that showed that the 3% of their students who went on to write a plan Mm -hmm. earned more than the other 97% together within this research group. Mm -hmm. Um, So that alone, you know, says to you, get these things written down. And it gives you focus. It also gives you clarity. Uh-huh. It really clears your mind, mm-hmm. but you can see what you're working towards and you can you can see the path you need to take. Mm-hmm. And then it's about saying, right, who's my ideal client? Who do I want to work with? Who yeah. are the people who who will pay me willingly, who value what I do, who will give me repeat and referral business, who are profitable and who I love working with? Mm. That's just a few. 
and then and say right so who are they and then profile them and say what are the commonalities yeah um and i i i've done this with a lot of my clients and, and you actually you come out with this really clear profile and say right if that's what they look like now where do i find them because you have to go and fish where the fish are yeah so if you know go to I, i've got a, a client who was um a solicitor and he came and asked me if I would help him because his firm had said, if if you can bring in more clients, we want you to, to be business development as well as doing your, uh, con- oh, what is it, consumer credit. Yeah. Um, and he came and he said, Dennis, I haven't got the first clue how to bring clients <laughs> in. I know about consumer credit. So we did exactly this. And, um, and he started going to speaking engagements where he knew his, his ideal clients mm. were. He was reading magazines that he knew his ideal clients read. He put articles into those magazines. Mm-hmm. He uh, positioned himself highly on social media and he joined the groups on LinkedIn uh-huh. where his ideal clients were. And the outcome of this, and, and, and also we put a, um, a direct mail campaign together directly to his ideal clients uh, and email. So it was an email and a, a, a direct mail campaign. Um, and he brought in so much business. He didn't just get the bonus and the car that they had promised him. <laughs> he actually got an equity partnership. Right, right. So so this ideal client is so important. Once you know your ideal client, then you can get in the shoes and say, right, what are the problems these clients have without my product or service? Mm-hmm. And what is the impact of these problems? Of these problems, then you can write your marketing material to address that. So you're speaking to the to the problems that are going on in the head, mm-hmm. um, and it resonates. So when people get a, an email or a letter uh, or, or this, you know, your a speaking engagement where you're speaking to an audience, it all resonates, and they go, "Goodness me, that's me." That's me. You must have read my mind. I need to know more. Mm-hmm. So it's making sure that your message is relevant to your ideal client and then have a multiple marketing strategy um, because the, there is there's research being done that shows that only 2% of people buy on first contact. Yes. So if you just keep sending out a one letter or making a one phone call and never following up, you, you can be, it's going to kill you. Mm. You know, so you need to have a multiple marketing strategy. And I've got another um, example of this. A number of years ago, I received an email inviting me to a, a three-day conference in America. Right. Now, I, it was highly unlikely that from one email that I was going to go to America. <laughs> now, I did know this guy, and I, and I knew he was, you know, he, he was a thought leader in his field, but... But from one email, I just sort of read it and, and ignored, deleted it. Then I got a letter, and that sat on my bench for a while. Then I got another email. Then I got a postcard. Then I got a phone call. And each time I was touched, metaphorically speaking, <laughs> I moved forward and I was more interested. Yes. Because each piece of marketing material addressed problems that I might have and benefits to me of going. Mm-hmm. And so uh, after the phone call, I booked it. And and in fact, my husband came with me. So we paid for two flights, the hotel and all of the associated um, costs. 
but I wouldn't have done that on, on a one or a two contact. So it's about having that multiple marketing strategy and saying, right, I need to have that written down as to, you know, getting people, what, what, how am I, what's my touch program going to look like? And then once I get them into my funnel, how am I going to take them through the journey? Now, if you're selling to bigger businesses, you know, you could you could even give a free giveaway uh-huh. in exchange for an email. I mean, there's so much I could share with you on this, but this is what I teach my clients anyway. Just going back to the message that needs to have the four components of um, grabbing their attention, lighting the fire and raising their interests with the, the problems that you can solve, create desire with proofs. Of, of what you've done and that all important call to action. So those four elements in your messages and your that's multiple the, marketing That's strategy. the classic marketing um, process called ADA, isn't it? A-I-D-A. It is. yeah. Attention, interest, desire and action. And mm-hmm. it some people think it's an old-fashioned cliche, but it's one still one of the best marketing principles there is out there. Dillis, what would the one major thing that anybody listening to the podcast today should do right now today to increase the number of prospects coming into their business what i would say is and this is a this is a bit of a deeper thing but it goes back to the word i've used a lot and that's have a strategy yeah so work out your your strategy and you know work don't work in your business work on your business yeah prospecting Get, I call this exposing yourself, metaphorically speaking. <laughs> Get out there in a bigger way um, and share the benefits of what your product or service brings. Mm-hmm. That would be my, my biggest um, tip, really. Okay. Dillis, that's fascinating. Lots of really good ideas there. Lots of really good tips that anybody listening to the podcast can use, whatever industry they work in. And of course, you've almost... Um, uh, preempted some of the questions that I always ask in the podcast, such as what your fa- favorite business book is. And you mentioned earlier, Becoming a Category of One by Joe Calloway. I always ask people, what is a, a marketing campaign or a product or an idea that's caught your attention? And you've already mentioned the trust equation. So I'll point to those amazing resources in the show notes of the podcast, which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash M-A-F. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash M-A-F. To finish off, I think I might just trigger your memory and ask you to tell us that fascinating story about Thornton's chocolates before you go, Dillis. Ah, yes. Thank you, Roger. Thank you. Um, It was brilliant the way I got this business, actually, because it was my my stepson who was the assistant chocolatier at Thornton's at the time. Assistant I, chocolatier. Man, yeah, that's a no, fabulous fantastic. title. Uh, and I said, Sean, who should I be talking to about increasing sales through the stores by developing um, the the store managers? Because mm-hmm. I did a lot of leadership programs in the early days. Mm-hmm. And he said, it's Joe Sladden. And I said, would you let her know that I'm going to call? And he said, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I called and spoke to Joe. And she said, oh, Dillis, yes, Sean said you're going to be calling. <laughs> So I had a chat with her, customer focus as always, um, and the outcome was come and have a meeting. I had a meeting with her. She asked me to present to the board, which I did. And I I won this. I didn't win it because there was nobody else in the race. There was just me because I had put myself forward. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I got this contract to um, increase to work with the store managers to help them become more effective managers so that they could 
work with the teams and, and increase the, the revenue through the stores. Mm-hmm. It was brilliant. Through that program, I identified an opportunity that they were missing, and right. that was um, they were missing corporate sales through the retail stores. Right. So this was people like maybe I, you know, like I had been a um, running the region mm-hmm. at Barclays, I would go and I would buy wine every month for my regional meetings. Right. I could just have easily bought chocolates. Okay. So I went to the CEO and I said, and I put this plan together and I said, look, I've, I've identified this opportunity here where I think you're missing a lot of business. And I, I put my proposition to him and he said, look, that sounds absolutely brilliant. I give you my go ahead to, to put this program together. So I, I put this program together again for store managers for them to initiate in their in their own stores, and the outcome of that was we increased sales from one hundred twenty six thousand to one point one million in twelve months. Wow! In corporate revenue, um, and so so my and then to go on from there because I had done that, they asked me if I would revamp all of the Thornton's direct program uh-huh. um, which was you know the online so that was looking at at systems and processes and sales processes and the whole thing I wrote a whole manual um, so so what I learned from that was if go into a business don't be frightened first of all remember I, I was a one-man band mm-hmm. um, and I was getting these big contracts because you can turn on a sixpence as as a, as a smaller business you can you've got that passion and you've got the knowledge so if if big companies take on a, or give a contract to a big company for training for example they would get a trainer uh-huh. where i i'm actually i'm doing the do- job i'm i'm doing the sales and marketing myself i'm a practitioner i'm not just a trainer so if, don't be scared, first of all, to go into big companies and just even start with a small piece of business and then look for other opportunities to go deeper and broader within the company. And and that can give you a huge amount of, of credibility and revenue and enjoyment in the role. So that, that was a real big, a big learning thing for me. Fantastic, Dillis. That's a really insightful story to finish off this podcast interview before we go i'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are going to want to get in touch with you and have a talk to you perhaps about how you can help them with their prospecting so what is the best way that people should be able to get in touch with you uh, well they can email me at dillis at dillisguyan.com and i will spell that because it's it's an unusual spelling it's d-y-l-i-s guyan g-u-y-a-n so it's dillis at dillisguyan.com or you can go to my website at dillisguyan.com and there is a, a free resource there, 21 Surefire Ways to, to Find Your Ideal Client. And it does exactly what it says on the tin. Uh, but within that, I've got um, some work on how to, to profile your ideal client. So there's there's the steps in terms of, of doing that. Um and they could call me on 07850547423 and uh, I'd be very, very happy. I also offer free 30-minute strategy sessions where we look at what someone wants to achieve at the end of 12 months 
any challenges that might stop them achieving that. And then they leave with a high level strategy of what they need to put in place. Fantastic. Dillis, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you this morning. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Let me wish you every success for the future and hopefully we can catch up in person for a glass of wine or a coffee sometime in the near future. I would absolutely love it, Roger. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the topics, apps and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. If you are a business person, financial services professional or journalist and have a marketing or finance story to tell, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's just thoughts and opinions, okay? Okay.